We are looking at the hallmarks of the Reformation. We looked a couple Sundays ago at Scripture alone. And then last Sunday we looked at great, uh, Jesus, uh, Christ alone. And today we look at the theme of grace alone. And we turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And Paul writes these words, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would take the words that we have just read, words that you have inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would teach us. Help us, Lord, to understand what it really means that we are saved by grace and grace alone. And I pray, Lord, that you would also teach us what it means to live in light of that fact that we have been redeemed, we've been bought with a price, and therefore we are to glorify God in our body and spirit that belong to Him. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The story is told that Jonathan Edwards had a daughter who had a uncontrollable temper and there was a young man that fell in love with her and wanted to marry her but the answer he was given by Jonathan Edwards very abruptly he said you can't have her the young man says but I love her he said you can't have her but she loves me replied the young man and Edwards said you can't have her and so the young man said why And Jonathan Edwards says, because she is not worthy of you. (laughs) And he said, but she is a Christian, isn't she? And Edwards said, yes, she is a Christian. But the grace of God can live with some people with whom no one else could live, (laughs) was his answer. We know that God in his grace accepts us just as we are. But His grace does not end there. When a person comes to know Jesus and experiences the grace of God, they should be easier to live with, right? I mean, God's grace accepts us as we are, but God loves us too much to let us stay that way. And so this grace that we talk about today, yes, indeed, it saves us from our sin, but it transforms us. It changes us. And Paul makes that very clear in this text today. God's grace saves us in, from sin in three very clear ways. Notice, first of all, that God's amazing grace saves us from what we could describe as the penalty of sin. God's grace saves us from the penalty of sin. 
Now, most people have been brought up to think that anything in life that is of any value requires work. And in many ways that's true, isn't it? If you want good grades, if you want to do a good job, you must be willing to work for it. As someone would say, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Huh? You've heard that statement before. But this way of thinking has affected how people look at salvation. They think that somehow we must work to be saved when the Bible says that salvation is given by a gift of God's grace. In verse 11, Paul says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. And that grace is given to us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Look at verse 14. It says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So there's some important words we need to Define here, make sure we understand them. One is the word redeem. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us. And that word redeem means to purchase through the payment of a ransom. It was something that Titus could understand and those who lived in first century Roman Empire because there were a lot of slaves there. And every now and then someone would purchase a slave, not to keep that under his care, but to buy that slave's freedom. That's what it means to redeem. We have been slaves to sin. Jesus Christ bought us, paid the price for us, set us free. And that fits with the word appeared in verse 11. It's actually the word that we get our word epiphany from. That word appeared, it was used in in Greek literature of that day as kind of a technical term to describe what a hero or a god would break into a helpless situation to rescue someone from danger. That's kind of the the way that word was used in, in Greek literature that day. Someone who rescued someone from danger. So Jesus came to rescue us from spiritual danger, the spiritual danger of judgment. And he did that by giving his life as a ransom. He paid the price for our salvation and he did it. Why? Paul says because of his grace. Solely, completely Only because of the grace of God. That's why we as Reformation believers would stand on that truth that we are saved by the grace of God alone. Grace alone. A man went to a minister in great distress about his spiritual condition one day. And he said to the minister, Sir, can you tell me what I must do to find peace? And the minister said, Young man, you are too late. He said, You mean I am too late to be saved? 
And the minister said, no, you aren't too late to be saved, but you are late to do something about being saved. Jesus did everything that was necessary over 2,000 years ago. That's where we stand today, that Jesus Christ did it all, and He offers it to us by His grace alone. And that's a message I hope we never get tired of hearing because that is the very foundation of our relationship with God. We were lost. We were under the judgment of our sin. But by His grace and mercy, God sent His Son to be our Savior. Now, if we say that salvation is by works or by faith and works... We must also say that salvation isn't for everyone. In fact, we must say that if we are saved by works, then salvation isn't for anyone. Why? Because God's Word is clear that we have all sinned and we continue to fall short of the glory of God. And though some have sinned more than others... None of us have been good enough. I was reminded of this when we were at the Grand Canyon a few years ago. And just standing there at the edge and imagining what it would be like to try to get across that Grand Canyon. You know, the world's record holder in the long jump, what is it, I don't know, 30 feet or something like that? Is it more than that? What is it, 29 feet, 20 feet? I don't know what it is. You can tell. You compare that person to someone in a wheelchair who just rolls off the edge, or whether you can jump 30 feet, what's the result for both? It's, it's death. There's no way. And so it doesn't matter how good you are or how bad you are, there is no way that you are going to have a right relationship with God by your own doing. It is solely the grace and the mercy of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And if you are saved, you would say the same, that saved a wretch like you. You might be able to find people that are worse off than you, that have sinned more than you, but that doesn't matter. Apart from Jesus, you stand under the judgment of God, but His grace sets us free from the penalty of our sin, the judgment of God. But that is not the end. That is just the beginning. Because God's amazing grace also saves us, not just from the penalty of sin, but God's amazing grace saves us from the power of sin. The power of sin. There are some people who claim to be saved today, but there is absolutely no evidence of it. No change in their life. They think the way they've always thought. They talk the way they've always talked. They act the way they've always acted. They still react the same way as they've always reacted. There's no desire for God's Word. No desire for prayer. No desire for fellowship. No desire to serve in the kingdom of God. And yet they would say they know Jesus. That is a contradiction. What does the Bible say? If any man is in Christ... You can finish it for me, can't you? He is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. 
And there are people that say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he's my savior. And there's been absolutely no evidence of that in their life. That's a person who's deceived. The grace of God changes us. The grace of God is powerful. And Paul describes that in our text. Verse 11, he talks about the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, and its sentence doesn't end there. What does that grace do? Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And that word translated instructing us or teaching us is a present participle, meaning that this is an ongoing process. This is something that is taking place in the lives of believers in Jesus in an ongoing way. Day by day, this grace of God is is powerful. So how does God's grace change us? Paul says, by God's grace we say no to what is evil. Verse 12, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. The word ungodliness is a reference to a person's conduct, or in this case, misconduct, ungodliness. One commentator refers to Paul's use of godliness as, quote, reverence manifested in actions. Good way to describe godliness. Reverence that is manifested or that is seen in our actions, seen in how we live our lives. And then the word worldly passions describes what we might call our internal impulses, our appetites, our desires, our cravings. And so the grace of God changes us both in our actions and in our desires. My dad used to say, God gives us new spiritual taste buds where we desire the things of God. We desire that which is good and holy and and pleasing in His sight. So God's grace is working in the believer, helping us to say no to what is evil and to say yes to what what is good. A young girl was being examined for membership in a congregation. And one of the deacons asked her if Jesus had made a difference in her life. And she replied that he certainly had made a difference. And then the deacon asked the question, but do you sin anymore? And she thought for a minute and she said, well, yes, of course, I still sin. I'm not perfect. And so the deacon said, well, if you sinned before you were a Christian and you sin since you've become a Christian, how has Christ made a difference in your life? And she thought for a moment and then she said this. Before I was a Christian, I ran after sin, but now I run from it. That's the change that Jesus brings. We aren't perfect when we're saved, but the direction of our life changes. We want to seek the kingdom of God. We want to live in a way that honors Him. We struggle. Absolutely we struggle. Because we still have a sinful nature. But the grace of God is a powerful thing. It works change 
in our lives. And I'm thankful that God is in the process of changing us. God is in the process of changing you. God is not finished with us yet. Isn't that good to know? My wife says, Amen. There's a lot of things that need to change in my life. Right, Justin? I bet you your wife says the same thing too, didn't she? She's nodding. Yeah, she's nodding. God isn't finished with us yet. And His grace changes us. So God's amazing grace saves us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. And then thirdly, we await the day when God's amazing grace will save us from the very presence of sin. The very presence of sin. You see, a day is coming when our salvation is going to be completed. We will stand in the very presence of God. And Paul hints at that in verse 13. He says that this grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And also we are looking for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. So Paul says the one that has been saved, the one who has experienced the grace of God, is one who is looking forward to the day Jesus comes again. And Paul describes that day as the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus. The first time He came as a suffering servant. The next time He comes will be a glorious, reigning, majestic King. And when He comes again, we are going to experience that glory. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. In verse 20 he says, For our citizenship is in heaven from which also we await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So we share in that glory. And Paul says that the body that we will have when Jesus comes again will be like unto His glorious body. I'm not sure all that's, that's going to mean. But I'll tell you what, the older you get, the more you realize that's going to be a pretty good exchange, won't it? Huh? The body of our humble state into conformity with His body of glory? Wow. I might be a lot more handsome then. Honey, just wait. It's coming. What a glorious promise. A new, a new body. A body like that of Jesus. And when we receive that new body... You know what else is going to happen? That sinful flesh, that sinful nature that we daily struggle with is going to be gone. 
Can you imagine that? We battle every day, don't we? Because we have a sinful nature still. We live in a world that is full of temptation. We have the enemy of our soul who is seeking to kill and destroy and lead us into sin. But when we receive that glorified body, we will lay aside that sinful flesh and we will never, ever struggle with sin again. Do you ever get weary in the battle sometimes? It's like, here I go again. I said I didn't want to do this. And now I've fallen for this temptation again. I've grieved my Savior again. And just think, someday that will be gone. I remember an evangelist by the name of Philip Hansen. I think that was his name. An evangelist with the old um, LEM, Lutheran Evangelistic Movement. And he spoke at our uh, pastor's conference. And it was probably... I don't know, 25 years ago maybe? I'm getting old, you can tell. 25 years ago, something like that? And I remember him saying, he said, the thing that I will appreciate the most when Jesus comes again, and there were tears running down his face as he said it, is that I will never grieve my Savior again. My sinful flesh will be gone. I will be glorified. I will be like Jesus. And the presence of sin will be gone. No wonder Paul talks about it as the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. We stand on the truth that we are saved by grace alone. From the penalty of sin, yes. From the power of sin, yes. But one day from the very presence of sin, as we stand before the Lord, clean, perfected, purified, singing praise to the Lamb that has given us our salvation. Be long for that day, Paul says. That's what we look for. We are looking for the blessed hope. We are waiting for the day that Jesus comes again. And oh, what a glorious day that will be. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Let's pray. Lord, as we sing now this closing song, we rejoice in your goodness to us. We rejoice in your marvelous grace, your amazing grace. How sweet it is to know that we are saved by grace and grace alone. Oh, Lord, continue that work in us, that process of making us more like your Son, Jesus. And help us to live then, waiting for, looking for that day when sin will be gone and we will be glorified in your presence forevermore. For we pray in Jesus' name.
and for his sake. Amen.